Welcome to another episode of New Savages Spirituality. I'm Simon. And I'm John. Just two brothers on a journey. This week, our guest is somebody I'm super excited to talk to. Author, Instagram star, and just bloody lovely person, Jalissa Jane, <laughs> a.k.a. Rock and Roll Mother. Hello. Hello. How are you? We're good. I'm good. Good. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Glad to have you on. Thank you yeah. for being on. Thanks for joining. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, we, I've been buzzing about this all week. Like I've been as giddy as a schoolgirl. Um, like <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, like I'm just, I'm just really excited to talk to you. So I'm going to start it off. I just want to know, like, your backstory. You know, where are you coming from? Yeah. So I basically, I live in Cornwall. Lived here nearly 10 years now. I've lived all over, actually, so I don't know why I introduced it with that. But um, I obviously have written a book about living in Cornwall, to be fair, um, and my life experiences. I started writing on Facebook as a joke, actually, a few women in a um, mother-baby group that we were in. I was writing it in there, which is like a private group, and they were just saying, Jaleesa, do you know what, you need to – this." this needs to be out there for more people to read. And I was like, oh, like, no, you guys will find it funny because you know me, but nobody else would. Um, and then it, well, I started posting on, on Facebook and it just went completely viral. It was, it was madness. And uh, it was a real experience, actually. It was really good. Like a lot of what I wrote about was, you know, feeling isolated and lonely after having a kid. And then you get thousands of women messaging you like, I did and now I don't because you've spoken about it. And I was like, well, now I don't because you're speaking to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it basically kicked off from there. And I've just been on the wild ride since, to be honest. There, there is no secret to it. It just sort of happened. Um, and I think I just connect with people. It's like my hidden talent, I think. just I just seem to be able to pull people out of their shell and then really look at themselves and that's what I'm really proud of that's what I want to keep doing you know I, I love connecting with as many people as possible on like a really real level um and that's what the people that follow me even on Instagram now I mean I do post a lot less but um <clears throat> they all say you know you're real and that's not very common these days you know you just say it how it is you don't try and be anybody that you're not you're just yourself and it takes a lot of confidence, I think, to be vulnerable online. And it really attracts people to you. It's like a magnet. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's rather beautiful, though. I mean, like, we, we talk about vulnerability quite considerably in these podcasts. Mm. It's like a big deal for, for us. Um, yeah. It's incredibly brave to do it online. I think you're very, you know, courageous to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, did, I am. Um, I was going to say, did, have, you know, have you had backlash from it? Oh yeah. Oh, do you know what? It's funny. Like I said, I, I stopped posting as much, and there there was a reason for that, which I'll get onto shortly. But before before all of this, I, you know, I could really, I think my attitude when people gave me backlash, I understood, you know, people that are not very nice are hurting people and I think once you have that attitude you know I mean I started my blog when I was 24 which is isn't very old um and I've got people that are in their 40s and 50s and 60 
sixties actually that follow me. And um they say your your attitude to life. And I think it's just because I just learn it, you know what I mean? And I really I'm just like a sponge. And I see when people give me backlash, I think you're projecting onto me and I've actually turned a lot of trolls into like devout followers. It's mad actually. (laughs) (laughs) But magic as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you find, um, I mean, it's a big thing for me personally. I used to have quite a big following on my business page, Sandyman Chop Shop. Um, It was like 13,000 followers. And then the account got hacked um, and then I had to restart it. But there was a real um, humbling experience for me in terms of that I realised that there was a lot of ego based in that and this kind of like followers made anything. So for you, do you find... There's a bit of a strange dichotomy between real life versus insta life, and and how you know that there's such a, a a massive gulf between what we show. For most of us, I mean, you're saying about the vulnerability and that you are open, but most of us portray such a picture perfect view, and then we compare ourselves to this picture perfect view, and quite often we don't, you know, we don't live up to it. So it's like, you know, they've got a better house, they've got a better life, they've got a better love life, they've got a better car, they're on a better holiday. Do you know what I mean? So do you yeah. find that a funny one for you? As to like, well, this is the reality, this is Insta, and how do I kind of show that real me within the Insta, which is kind of a marketing selling type environment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, complete. I um, I found when I am feeling... When I post online my vulnerable moments, I i mean, I struggle with this in real life when I talk to people about my vulnerable moments. I can only talk about it when I have clarity on the situation, you know. Um, I, I talked about the newborn stage of motherhood and how hard it was and all these thoughts and feelings that you have once Lily was three. I'd got through it. I'd got to the other end. I could so, sort of see the light. Um, and also, I mean, when I started blogging and and instagramming and and all of that the the trend was to have it all have all these packages sent to you all these luxury products sent to you um and a lot of people said to me it was astonishing because I was getting these offers and I was saying no you know these are not my audience I don't want to show people that I got out of this dark hole with the latest you know um sleep next to me crib because it's not the truth um and I think that's what gave people a sort of level of respect. And also it's validating for yourself, you know, like like you said about your ego. When you feed the ego, you don't get anything from it. You just it's just hungrier and hungrier. Whereas when you realize that you're thinking with your ego and not your authentic self, you actually get more and you're happy with everything I have right now in my life, I'm happy with. Do you know what I mean? I don't need the stuff. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I've got it all right here. And anything extra is just a lovely bonus. And I think that change of attitude really, really speaks to people. And, I I mean, it speaks to me as well. Yeah. That's that's so It's that attitude of gratitude, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Looking at what you have already rather than the projection of what life would be like if you had. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Yes. Anyway, yes. you're not. Was it you always say? No, no. You always say, don't you, John? I say, so if you're yeah. not happy with it now, yeah. Then, what, 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 like, if you're not happy with what you've got now, why, what would more make you happy? I absolutely you know? agree. I think that's so true. Yeah, I think yeah. there is a real sense of like just looking around yourself and going, "This is 
perfect. And this very much, like this very second, it's perfect. I'm sitting here with my best mate talking to somebody really interesting. Um, what more do I possibly want? You know, there's a roof in my yeah. head. I've got food in my belly. That's perfect. You know? Absolutely. You know, that's why I called the book Ever the Optimist, because that attitude, even when I sat in a car, no money in the bank, well, minus money in the bank, nothing to eat for the day, no house, no friends or family around me. And I and it would be sunny and I'd be like, well, at least it's sunny. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that experience is so humbling because um, where I'm from, so obviously I've moved to Cornwall, but I came from the Cotswolds and that is an area that is absolutely rife with ego. It's full of people that are outdoing each other. They Everybody wants to be the next big thing. Um, but without any authenticity to it. And I really struggled in that environment. I was utterly miserable. Um, But like going back to what you said, you know, I played the part on Instagram. This is before I had any followers, obviously. But you look back and you think, oh, I can tell. I think there's like the sadness filter on it. But uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I think you, you play the part. And actually, once I took myself out of that situation, completely humbled myself by, by building up from, literally zero um and now I wake up every day I'm so thankful I'm so I'm full of gratitude for life and I think as well like that in turn makes life easier for me everybody says I'm really lucky and I think on paper I could say all sorts of things that make me seem very very unlucky but my attitude tells me no you you're so lucky you're here you're breathing you've got a like beautiful kid you've got a house that you love you've got everything and, and that's come from nothing so yeah that's awesome that's so so beautiful it really is well we're you know we're great believers in that and it's actually about doing the work from inside out rather than outside in because no external validation or possessions or relationships are going to help you no yeah in the long run you know instant gratification or those little sense pleasures yes they do give it you short term (laughs) but the greatest form of happiness is what you're doing actually which is doing something altruistically that helps others and what you gain back from that is like tenfold definitely you know we believe that that's why we're doing this really yeah it just absolutely it's so a brilliant, brilliant thing yeah. i think so i mean definitely. going back to the book as well there is like i i flicked through it again this afternoon so um it's 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 an absolute easy book to read like anybody that picks it up they probably nail it within no time at all um yeah i'm intrigued for the next one to be quite honest i'm quite excited to I'm I'm I need to write it, but <laughs> if I could skip that bit, that'd be great. Yeah. But I am so much more excited. I mean, you probably I don't know if other people have picked this up to be honest, but I reread it myself. You know, I wrote it and then it was gone. I just had to get rid of it. Um I didn't pick it up again, to be honest. And then a friend of mine bought it recently and I thought, yeah, do you know what? I'll flick through it. I just want to reread it. And my youth and like naivety. I mean, I wrote it when I was 21. Yeah. So I just think it's astonishing to me. I, I mean, it makes me cringe actually reading it back. You know, like your Facebook statuses from 10 years ago yeah. make you want to just go back in time and punch yourself in the face. And that is that is how my book makes me feel. But I mean, there, there are some great moments of clarity as well, which I still stand by, obviously. But yeah, well, it's, br- yeah it's, 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 it's brutally honest. It's really yeah. beautiful how yeah. honest it is. And it's even... Like I go to the, the the back cover and the little quote on the back cover is something I really like and it's something I 100% agree with. And I'm just going to read it for those that haven't, aren't aware of it. But 
There it was, a decision opening up in front of me. To step forward would mean change, growth. To step back meant safety, but stillness. And yeah, that's like that's a it's perfect to be quite frank. Yeah, because I, I talk to my wife about this, and it's everything that we do is all about the growth. It's our journey, you know. There's no end to this journey, and yeah, there's something really um, encouraging about that. Yeah, I think as well, though, you know, growth is really scary. Yeah. I'm in I'm in a period right now where I'm looking forward and I'm thinking, oh shit, I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know is it's better than being where I was. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that it takes a lot of courage to to step forward. And it's like blank space. But at the same time, you, you can change your attitude on it and think it's like a blank canvas. You can you can do whatever you want in the future. You can't change the past. Yeah. But you can you've got all of that ahead of you. Mm. So Yeah. Well yeah. that's it. I mean, I kind of look at it like this now. I I didn't when I was young, I looked at it like this. And then as I grew up and had children, I lost it. And now as I've got to my the age that I'm at now and I'm a bit more healthy, like mentally and emotionally, I've come back to it. And it's Instead of going, oh shit, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like, oh shit, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's like being Simple at the top of the roller coaster, <laughs> and it's like, oh fuck, I've got no clue what's going to fucking happen right here. This could be, <laughs> this could be mental. This could be absolutely amazing. It could be the most scary thing in the world. But I'm so fucking psyched for it. Yeah, you know? I'm strapped in. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this this old yeah. wooden seat looks safe. Let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but. There was an element when I was young where I just I always leapt before I looked. You know, I never yeah. I never even thought about the consequences. I was just mm. like, fuck it, yeah, let's go. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was So do you think that, that change when you had children, do you think you played it safe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I felt that when I was when I because uh, I was a dad really young. I was nineteen when my, my daughter was born. Mm. And um and so you know, I, I I was still very reckless when she was little, um, but she just came with me, you know, and she has that little element up to her now. You know, she's in her 20s now and she's like, yeah, dad, let's get, you know, but she calls me pop. She goes, yeah, pop, let's go crazy, you know. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's a bit, as, as I had more children and I got, dare I say it, more middle class, um, it, it, Everybody says that once they have children, it's very, yeah. very middle classy. Isn't yeah, it, it absolutely. Bro, we're not. Like, not no, on. no, like we're punk as fuck. <laughs> I, I was the kid. Like, I was the dad at the school gate that nobody wanted to talk to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was okay with that. I didn't really want to talk to them either. Um, yeah, but yeah, but I, I got really like cautious and careful over everything. You know, and and. Mm. And then I reached a point, um, I lost some people in my life who I was really close to and and um, and then it slowly started to come back to me that like, I don't want to give a fuck anymore. I just want to, you know. Live life. Yeah. And the, yeah. And it's getting more and more so now. And I'm, I'm not back to where I was when I was 18, but I'm, I'm getting there, you know. And, and, and this, reading your book just reminds me of that, that whole, like, fuck it, let's just do it. Mm, yeah. yeah. Why don't people do this? Yeah. I mean, I did very quickly discover why people don't do that. But I mean, it got me here. So, yeah. <laughs> all the lessons in yeah. the darkness, you find the light and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I wanted to ask you actually, because um, I think you kind of touched on it, but 
Like I've got three children with two different women and I've really noticed in both of the women that when you become a mother, it so can take over your identity and the, the woman who or the women who they were before gets the lace, you know, goes by the wayside and just, you know, a, a doting mother that, that you're there always, you know, especially if you're breastfeeding and, you know, they're sleeping in with you. And so I, how did you find that? And, you know, in terms of t- you were honest and talking about it and, you know, did you feel you lost your identity and then sharing it for others so that they could kind of feel like I'm not alone and at least, you know, there are other people that are struggling with this and who am I now? Am I just a mom? Am I still me? And then if you've got a partner as well, that you've got to be everything to everyone else and then where do you fit into it? Yeah. It's, it's hard, I presume. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Definitely is. I think having kids in general for, for men or women, to be honest, I think it is a really um life-changing experience it it is humbling again because you sort of I mean I was talking to my friends uh this weekend and I said you know um when you have a baby you you get humbled you know there's like just shit and sick and no sleep anywhere do you know what I mean like and uh and I feel like they they that happens on purpose to humble you ready ready for you to have a kid do you know what I mean um but yeah I after having Lily I immediately felt lost I felt very much like everybody's really excited for you to have this baby and you get a lot of attention you know I remember my husband saying um everybody had forgotten about him when I was pregnant it was all how's G how's the baby and not really much about him and then I remember sort of thinking yeah well fuck off because I'm pregnant (laughs) (laughs) um, and dealing with severe morning sickness but um and then you have the baby and it is literally like everybody just just cares about the baby you 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 fall to the wayside even though you're you're doing everything um and I it took me about six months to to get on any sort of level again I really struggled with postnatal anxiety um, I ne- never had depression actually, which a lot of people would say to watch out for, but nobody ever said you get postnatal anxiety, and mine was awful. But I, I pushed through that, and I think that's what really kicked the blog off as well. Um, but I sat there, and my hair was like pulled up in a bun all the time. You just wear shit clothes all the time. And then one day, I, ju- I just sort of snapped, I guess, dyed my hair pink, um, carried on getting my tattoos once I'd stopped breastfeeding. And then this is when the the rock and roll mother sort of persona came out, and I remember thinking, "Yeah, this is me. This is you know who you who you want to be when you're a kid. And you haven't got any money, or you know you're not allowed to dye your hair because your mum said no, and stuff like that." And <laughs> I love it. Um, I think there was a news article actually written about me, and it basically they were sort of poking fun at me to say, you know, who what does this girl think she is? She she thinks she's the the face of motherhood she's covered in tattoos and she's got pink hair and she swears and she says the c word all the time and i thought yeah do you know what this this is the modern day mother and i think a lot of i get a lot of alternative people that follow me because they said you know you scour through these these mother blogs because you're feeling lonely and you want someone to be talking about how you're feeling but then they they've got these pristine the white company homes and they wear jewels and they put the dogs in the back of the range and stuff like that. And then there's me and I'm like getting the bus again with my kid. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's that reality. And that yeah. is, that's the majority of mums. And I think it encouraged them as well to 
you know, you, you don't have to look a certain way when you're a mother. You don't have to act a certain way either. As long as your your kid is loved and fed and, and looked after perfectly well, there's no uniform to it. Mm. And mm. I think that, that's groundbreaking, really, especially in this day and age. Yeah. I think that's ace. Amazing. My, so amazing. Yeah. My, my wife is, um, we're, we've got five kids. We've been together 30 years now. And um, she's the tattooed, dyed hair, pierced. Yeah. She's like she's way more punk rock than I am, I think. <laughs> but she listens to Pink instead of like, like the Pistols. Punk, yeah, basically. Well, she does occasionally. <laughs> she's been to a few shows with me, so it's yeah. good. What is it? I don't know. Where people, it's like you've got to tick boxes. Like now oh, I'm yeah. thirty, so I'm going to play golf and have a sensible yes. car. Yeah. Oh, no. It's like yeah. so fucked. Like, this fascinates you know, me actually yeah. like this this attitude I, I say this a lot about having children you know I know a lot of parents that had children 2.5 children to tick that box they didn't have children to have humans that they were wanting to interact with and and treat like a real person they've done it and they tick the box and, and they kind of secretly hate it yeah. but they, they don't want you to know that and I think well, why did you why did you have kids yeah. and it's like well Everybody else is doing it, yeah. you know. It's just uh, it's madness. like that's madness, isn't it? Because like the reality is, I look at my children and I absolutely love them to pieces. They can be right little cunts at times, but I do <laughs> love them to bits. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely yeah. adore them. I'd do anything for them. Um, but that's real. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, think mm. of the adults in your life that that you know, and you think, yeah, sometimes you're a real dickhead, and I'm, and it's fine to say it about your friends or about yeah. your job or or you know people that you meet in the street. You can't say about your kids when they are being a real little oh. wanker. No, I, do you know what? Years ago, I went to a therapist and he had me do a timeline, which I, t- I, I tell everybody should do this. Absolutely do it. And what you do is you get a big A4 sheet of paper and you get one sheet of paper per 10 years of your life. Okay. And then you put a line through the middle and on the above the line, you write all the positive things. And below the line, you write all the negative things that happened to you in your timeline. So when I did mine, I put in the positive bit, my children, and I put my wife in the positive. And my therapist, he turned around to me and he went, this is really interesting. I go, oh, why is that? He goes, do your children not cry and keep you up at night? Do they not whine? Do they not complain? Do they? And I went, well, yeah, of course they do. He says, so why aren't they in the fucking negative as well? Yeah. He said because. That's a really good way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, he actually. says, like, you can look at your children and go, yeah, they make me laugh. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear. But I'll be realistic here. Yeah. They also piss you off. They also finish the milk and don't tell you. They also piss on the toilet. Put the so, empty carton back. Yeah. So they do I all these things. It's like be real about it. Yeah, I think there's there's that pressure. I've I've written about this on the blog, you know. There's this pressure, like, especially women. I I mean I I couldn't speak for, for dads, I'm not as I'm not one. But um there's this pressure to say, you know, I love my kids, but blah blah blah. You ha- always have to start it with that. You always have to say you know, of course I love them, but then I want to say what I really want to say. And it's like, we know you love your kids. You're supposed to. Like, it's like the the prerequisite, you know. You're going to love your kids. You don't have to get it in there, but you're you're doing it because of that pressure to be like, yeah, I love my kids, obviously. Do you hate them too sometimes? A little bit, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only natural, isn't it, to, like, if you spend so much time with another human being, you're going to want to break from them now and then. Yeah, they're great yeah. on you. It's like our parents did it with us. Why did we go to our grandparents? Because they needed the fucking yeah. break, you know? Yeah. And ironically, as a kid, you just think 
that they did that because it'd be fun for you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It'd be like, yeah. It was like, we're going to the parents because it's like the, the tick, you know, like, oh, of course we are. Yeah. I, mean, I never even considered as a child, I suppose you don't, but what my parents were up to. I just thought they were sat at home waiting for us to be done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Little did you know, they're actually partying. Yeah. Yes. Little did I know. I wonder why they was grumpy when I got back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, That's fine. I was going to say, I think it's, it's so healthy for anybody to actually go and say, do you know what? My children are amazing, but they're also shit. You know? Yes. Like, and I still love them. And that's the beauty of it. You can look at your child and go, oh, my God, did you just break a 300-pound television? True story. Um, and go, damn, I've now got to buy a new television to keep you guys entertained. But I still fucking love you. I'm pissed at you yeah. right now, but I still love the shit out of you. Yeah. You know? Do you know what? I've had that conversation with Lily before. I've had to tell her off for something. And then I was trying to – and she looked at me and she was so hurt. And like this, she was very young, about two. And I sort of said to her – even when I'm telling you off, I still love you. Even when I'm really annoyed, I still love you. There's no negative emotion that gets that you know it cancels that out. It's no. always there, and it was like groundbreaking. I think because then you know she would come to me and be like, "I have just smashed the thing," <laughs> and I'd be like, "That is not fine, but we will just deal with it." But you know, it gives her that confidence to think, no matter what I do, that that love's still there. Yeah, that's a secure mm. connection. You know, yeah, yeah, we we and that's so important for later life as well. Absolutely, for her relationships, yeah, yeah. etc. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've probably set in her there one of the most vitally important things. Um, one of my one of my sort of gurus is a guy called John Bradshaw who coined the phrase "the inner child." So he yeah. he talks about you know how as adults we go into relationships basically as our inner child trying to find a yeah. matching inner child. So yeah. our partner. Yeah, I've looked a lot into this sort of thing. Yeah. It, it comes a lot under ego as well, I suppose. Yeah. It's like your inner child is is basically searching for what you whatever you didn't get yeah. as a kid. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. It's trying to like, you know, but what happens basically is we we repeat our patterns from our childhood with our partners. So Yeah, completely. Yeah. I would completely agree. Yeah. So <laughs> scary, hey. It's frightening. It is. Yeah. Yes. The reality <laughs> that I've just discovered very recently as well is when we start to break those patterns, it is so liberating. And yeah. it's just mind-blowingly phenomenal to be with your partner when you're breaking that pattern and and they're seeing it and you're seeing it and it's just like, wow, look at us, you know? Yeah. Actually adulting. Yeah. Yes, we are growing yeah. up. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, we still behave like children. So it's, it's Yeah, that is one thing I really like age is just so not a thing and yeah. and I I clocked this quite young. I think probably cuz my my parents were definitely really young at heart, you know, yeah. throughout the, throughout our whole lives. But um, you know, I noticed it more as I got older and I realized, you know, you could talk to a 50-year-old at age 20 and they still think they're 20 yeah do you know what I mean and I thought god yeah because you don't really get older it's not this thing that happens and then you change you're just the same you're the same person inside it's it's just fascinating yeah I, I mean that's the, the the reality is like and I can vouch to like for Simon this as well all the shit that we liked when we were 15 years old for the most part we still like now in our 40s 
Yeah, yeah. it's not a phase, Mom. No, really. <laughs> and we still do as well, don't yeah. we? We still skateboard. We still go to punk rock shows. Yeah. We still get well, we didn't get tattooed at 50, but we wanted to. Yeah. You know, the only thing that's different is we don't drink or take drugs anymore. No. But we're still skating all the time, surfing. Yeah. Yeah. Still just being extreme, I suppose, in our actions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's exhilaration and that doesn't go away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't suddenly go from surfing to thinking, I'll just do a nice puzzle. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. Extreme puzzling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the difference so picture this so friday night john and i were uh a punk rock gig do you know um, the offspring the band i do one of my favorite bands uh, we were there in london yeah. wembley and um we just had these like pints of water <laughs> so that's how it's changed that we, we would have been absolutely hammered and yeah like John used to get me the most drunk I've ever been on New Year's <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. But now, but do you know what? The vibe was no different. The only difference is when you're not drinking, you realise when people are drunk what fucking dicks they are. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And the aggression and the the kind of that want for alcohol that just takes over everything. Whereas we're just enjoying the music because we actually like the bands. We don't yeah. need to get fucked for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you you actually enjoy it more with that yeah. like clarity and the, the sober mind because you just you're there for that reason yeah. and you're enjoying it. Whereas generally, when, once you get drunk, you're like mind just gets really ADHD and is like, right, what next? You know, who can yeah. I punch? What can I eat? <laughs> yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and the thing about it is, you don't miss any songs either because you're not wandering off to the bar. That was or to the toilet. Yeah, like well, yeah. well for me, definitely the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we actually got through an entire show without going to the bar, which was kind of cool, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah, actually. absolutely. Yeah. Don't miss my. I should have to go to the toilet though. Yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah. There's, there's nothing. nothing okay. on you. My bladder is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay with it though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like the fact that we are still doing everything that we did at that age, I, I, I sort of applaud us. I've got friends who like lost their way. And I look at them now and I just think, what happened, man? We're, you know, why, why aren't you here yeah. with us, you know? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I find it really fascinating um, when you think about all your peers and you think, like, roughly you've all had very similar childhoods. But I suppose as you get into adulthood, that's when more things happen and people don't cope with it or, you know, and it, it really fascinates me watching, you know, I, I go on Facebook and it's like my yearbook. and um, seeing all these people at different stages of their life and seeing what's happened to people and, and things like that. It's, it's fascinating. I just think like, how are we not all on the same page? How have we not all had children? How have we not all been married? Yeah. Um, and, you know, sort of steering away from the checkbox thing, but then you, you really notice that life just really, you know, takes everybody out on, on different paths. Yeah. Mm. And I think a lot of it from my point of view is that, People, we're so indoctrinated in in many oh, ways that, that there's this thing that you know once you reach a certain age you do this or when you've got a certain, certain like <laughs> social status you have to act in this way or have this car or whatever and I remember yeah. years ago reading this thing in it and believing at the time that when you reach 40 your muscle mass decreases and you get weaker and so that was in my head but I'm 46 now and I'm the strongest I've ever been I can do more pull-ups than yeah. I ever can and it's actually it's bullshit it's conditioning it's the way you treat your body if you stop moving your body if you start taking the you know the lift rather than walking up the stairs if you stop running if you stop actually moving and exercising your body and i do yoga and all that as well and so 
I'm in really good physical condition because I'm actually listening to my body and looking after it. Whereas in my 20s, you know, I'd be taking whatever drugs I could find and drinking whatever I could. (laughs) So although (laughs) I'd probably recover more quickly, now I listen to my body and look after it. And so, you know, I want to surf and skateboard till I'm 80, 90, if, if, you know, I'm lucky enough to live that old. And I will do until I can't. So I think it's hugely a state of mind, which you obviously have the right state of mind. Yeah, you you are what you tell yourself you are. If you if you tell yourself I'm sad and depressed and lonely, you will feel that way. If you tell yourself I've got no friends, you 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 won't reach out. You won't have any friends. And it's the same as if you tell yourself when I'm forty, I'm old. You'll be old at forty. You know. Yeah. I definitely think it. You you are whatever you you tell yourself you are. Yeah, I think that's yeah, true. Definitely. I mean, I look at my my um my mum. And uh, she was a grandmother at 45, no, 48, 48. So, mm-hmm. and she once said to me, I was too young to be a grandmother because I, I, I was a bad boy. Um, but yeah, I was, when I was 19, I met my wife when I was 17 and um, fell in love with her and blown away by her. Still am, still am blown away by her. And, love that. And um, we, we had, we had our, our daughter when we were 19, you know, and mm-hmm. – um, yeah, and I just I, I look back at it now, and I think, wow, that's crazy. Because my my son now, my second to youngest, is nineteen, and yeah. and he lives in, in the bedroom next to mine. And it's like, yeah, at that I I had a, a my own place. I had my daughter. You know, we were you were know, I was working and all this sort of stuff. But I was still doing stupid shit. We used to like bundle her up in her pushchair, wrap her up, and like swaddle her up, and then put her in the pushchair. And uh, we would go out for walks at like ten o'clock at night, and we'd, mm. we'd go to the Chinese takeaway that was opposite our little flat, and we'd buy chips and gravy sauce, and and we would walk <laughs> around just talking, eating chips and gravy, and proper northern brother. Well, I was actually yeah. dude. I was living in Kent at the time. We were in Gill- well, yeah. yeah, we were in Gillingham. That's a in full Kent. on northern thing. Well, you know, <laughs> come from Yorkshire to Stock. My dad's from Yorkshire, so um, but anyway, I live in Yorkshire. Yeah, whereabouts in Yorkshire? Um, I lived near Tadcaster. Oh, okay. There's a little village called Newton Kime. Yeah. Um, and that's where I grew up. My dad was from uh, Bridlington and Filey. Yes, used to go there quite regularly yeah. for the seaside. Yeah, my uncle still lives in Filey as well, just up from the... There's a place near there, I think, called Wetwang. <laughs> and um, me and my best friend used to say, when we're older, we will have a flat in Wetwang <laughs> when we're 18. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the joy of, of of life is like those little moments. But when my like I said, when my wife and I look back on it now, those evenings when we would wrap summer up in a in a blanket, yeah. put her in the pushchair, and we'd walk around and we'd eat like chips with gravy or chips with curry mm-hmm. sauce, and it was just like they were great Special. moments. But then my mum would go, "You shouldn't take the baby out at ten o'clock at night," and I'm like, "Well, she was warm, she was safe, she was asleep. Why the fuck not?" Yeah, that? you know. Absolutely, yeah. We've had a lot of that um, with, I think, because Louis is an only child and there's a lot of pressure, like, you have to have another one, you have to have another one. Um, and, you know, we would take her out with all of our mates, you know, um, just for a day out, but you, you just end up sat around and, and chatting like on the beach or, or wherever, really. And people would be like, you need to have more kids or hang out with people that have kids because it's not good for her. And I was like, like no way, this, this was how I was brought up around my, my dad and his, like, gang of mates. And um, and it was brilliant. It was like you know they, you learn. I think when um, 
adults treat you like an adult in in a sense where they talk to you like a person like a human rather than being babied with loads loads of other babies and mums that are just talking about like the how many times the kid got up in the night or that sort of thing I think it's incredible for your your growth to to do that and have real conversations and go out and see stuff and like just hanging out is like really valuable I think for children I think so you know yeah I mean definitely I I look at mine and we we've taken him everywhere with us well I I suppose (coughs) Sarah and I have always done exactly as we pleased in a way so yeah. you know we we've lived like yourself we've lived all over we met in kent and then we moved to spain we lived in spain for a while and then we moved to derbyshire we lived there yeah. for a while then we moved to northern ireland and then we lived there for a while and we moved to portsmouth in hampshire lived there for a while and we moved to new zealand i've lived in hampshire as well yeah <laughs> we get around yeah we lived in new zealand for a while then we moved to australia we lived in australia for a while and then we moved back to the uk and we now live in northampton shire yeah. so northampton shire in uh, the shires yeah. yes so it's like you get around but my kids they've come wherever we, we we've been and i remember people saying to us once you have children you've just got to settle and stay put and i'm like yeah and have that stability yeah and actually your kids will grow up with so much culture yeah you know it it really it's like the the growth thing you know you you put a kid out of their comfort zone when they have to meet new people and start again somewhere and like i moved around a lot as a kid and i think really that gave me that benefit of not having you know, I've not grown up with the same people I went to nursery with. I went to primary school, secondary school, and then I married one of them. Yeah, it literally was like I I can now connect with people on from every walk of life, and and always about something really interesting because I'm used to being pushed out of my comfort zone. I'm used to finding common ground with people because yeah. you have to, you know. Yeah, I think that's so. True. Yeah, we use the term PMA in punk. I'm sure you heard it: positive mental attitude. Yeah. Is that where you think it comes from for you then? Definitely. From that kind of always having to be out of your comfort zone? Yeah, yeah. I think my positive mental attitude came as a coping mechanism at first um, because I, I did have a rough childhood and, you know, you, you'd you sort of lock yourself away in, in your bedroom and everything would feel shit and you'd just think, no, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, this is fine. <laughs> And I think that sort of manifested into really realising, especially when you're older and your responsibilities are more, you know, where I work, I always say to everybody, like, no one's dying. That is the base level. Like, no one's dying. Nothing. There's not a problem you can you can never unpick. Yeah. I think that's that's a really, like, keen keen way of looking at it. I've never met a problem yet that couldn't be unpicked. Yeah. And, I, and I've been faced with some pretty tricky ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd say living in your car for two months pretty tricky one. Yeah, yeah, that is a tricky one, but got out of it. Yeah. Look, you did. I'm on my computer now in my home. It just took eight years. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't read the book as I admitted before, but I'm going to afterwards. But for those that people that haven't, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's quite a big deal living in a car, obviously. Yeah. So I I'll I'll give you I'll try and give it you in a nutshell, but I am a rambler, so you know, just cut in. <laughs> but, um it started with my now husband, well now ex-husband actually. Um and I we were just boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. 
Um, we worked in a shitty job in an office, um, which I absolutely hate. I was getting bullied at work um, by a girl there. And we were members of this health spa, really posh it was. Um, we used to drive his like battered old Clio all the way to the end of the car park, like round the side of the bushes, and then walk past like all the Aston Martins on the way in. Like that's how <laughs> <I did that. laughs> um and we were treated like shit there as well, actually. They, they people just know, you know, when you they know when you've not got money and they they do tend to treat you like shit for it. But I, I suspect that's a projection thing. Like if I oust them, no one will look at me, you know? Yeah. Um but um we were in the jacuzzi one one evening and I was just absolutely, I was just broken. You know, I I wasn't seeing any of my friends and family. Everyone was just always too busy. Um, I didn't enjoy living with my dad. He he had some severe mental illnesses and um, I just wanted out, but I just couldn't couldn't see a possibility. Um, all of our money went, went on paying rent to live in a house we didn't want to live in. Um, and then Ryan turned around to me and he said, should we just go? And it was like there was this moment where you're just sort of looking at each other and it's like that you know, you say it all the time, don't you? Oh, let's just let's just bugger off. And mm. then that time it just was like, Do you know what? What's keeping me here? So we packed all of our stuff, came to Cornwall, didn't turn up at work the next day. My manager rang me um and he said, Why aren't you in? And I said, I'm on the beach in Cornwall. He said I can't remember what he said, but I remember I remember laughing and I, I later heard from a friend that worked there, she said after you hung up that phone, the office was absolute pandemonium. It was literally wild. She said, everybody just lost their minds. They just couldn't believe what we'd done. And I said, that brings me so much satisfaction. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Because it wasn't one of those jobs where like, we'd left anybody short-staffed. You're just a number. And then one day the numbers just didn't turn up, you know? Um so we very quickly ran out of money because we were so used to living a life where we'd go out to eat all, all the time. We'd just burn burn through money, and that's what we did in Cornwall. Very quickly ran out of money. And I thought, oh, we'll just get jobs. Um, when you've not got a fixed address, people don't really want to hire you. <laughs> um, so we struggled with that. And then, you know, there was a series of events, basically, that ended up with us with no money, sat in the car the car had no tax no insurance we couldn't even drive it back to the Cotswolds because we would get it taken off of us and and also there was an element of like tail between your legs you know like oh, yeah. mm. can we have our jobs back please um and uh yeah I just said right this is this is the like this is the cards that life's dealt us so let's just do what we've got to do let's make a plan stick to it and get ourselves out of this mess um and the attitudes remained with me. I've always got a plan ahead and every eventuality just be, just because, you know, that's how you go places. Um, and it took us a few months in the car, living proper homeless, you know. Um, luckily, I mean, interestingly, um, John, I bet you've seen this in the book where uh, on one hand, the universe would give you someone who was a real asshole. Yeah. And I mean, they would almost go out of their way. It was like your homelessness offended them. Yeah. And then yeah. they would try and take that from you, like they'd take the last thing that you had. And then two minutes later, someone would come along and, and offer you the like purest kindness that yeah. they could. You know, they, they'd give you the shirt off their back. And it was like so polarizing. It was so, such a strange situation to live through. Yeah. Um, and then we we basically built our built our way up, um, and then the book ends when we when we get the keys to our flat because that was when I stopped writing the diary. So 
my husband managed to find a job um, and we kept the homelessness a secret from them, actually. Um, and then uh, to, to pass the date, because we didn't have a phone, you know, couldn't pay the phone bill, uh, couldn't even charge it. So I just had to stay put in the car all day, every day, like 12 hours a day <clears throat> till he got back. And my mind does not do well to do nothing. <laughs> So, so I wrote the diary. I wrote a lot of stuff, actually, but the diary is the main thing that kept me going. It's like, right, new day, and just all the thoughts and feelings or whatever would happen in that day. Um, I'd often write a lot of lists of, of what I would put in the flat, like mentally doing the blueprint. <laughs> but I suppose in a way it's like manifesting it, really. Yeah, you were. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I, I really feel like I've manifested everything in my life. I, I just bought a new Mini, and it's my dream car. And I could just picture myself. I can't even drive yet. And I do have six points <laughs> on my license already. <laughs> Amazing. But I could just see myself holding the steering wheel. And then then it happened. And I I just keep saying I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for it. Because, yeah, I worked like my fingers to the bone, figuratively, um, to get it. But I got it, you know. And I'm so grateful for that. It's not like, oh, right, here's the next thing. You know, like we, we were saying about materialistic and as much as I love all, all my nice things, it's because I'm so grateful, you know, like I, I really, every day, I never look at it and think, oh, well, yeah. I, I wake up every day and I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> it's mine, you know? And, and that comes from being, being in that car, you know, nothing and uh, appreciating it. There, there is like, it is, a, it's a, so beautiful. It, it's a wonderful book to read. Um, and like I said before, it's, it's very honest. Um, one of my favorite bits in it, and I, I, I reread it again, is the day that you get the Tesco's bag with all the food in it, and uh, oh my god, yeah, yeah and, the, was... and the gift card. Um, but you still had an argument, you know, yeah. and and it was like that's that in itself is so honest because that's being in a relationship, to be honest. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and it, I, I don't want to give too much away. I think. Yeah, yeah, it it, it was sorry. No, as you say, it's 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 so well well written and so lovely. Yeah, I love that. It's a, that's a real compliment, actually. But um, I think what was what was fascinating for me is I knew I wanted to write the next book, um, and I'll tell you about it shortly. But um, I had to write this one because it was in there, and I just couldn't. I couldn't escape it. I couldn't write anything else without mentioning it. And I there was so much to say. And I thought, right, I've got this whole diary. I've got the whole blueprint to this. I've still got the diary, actually. Um, I've got the blueprint to this this book and it has to go out there you know I was sharing bits of it on the blog and people were enjoying it and I never thought it would do do as well as it did um but astonishingly I just thought I just I this is my story I have to tell and then people read it and they say I've taken so much from that and I think it's just me rambling on about how shit my life is and you know and what what bastards people are and sometimes that they're nice but they're still bastards but um you know ultimately I that, that's why I called it what I called it because it's that change of attitude and, and so many people have said they've read it and they've been tucked up in their bed and, you know, their kids are asleep and the next day is a sunny day and they've said it's given me that gratitude for life because I've not been in that situation. But I, I think I do I do say, you know, what happened to us as much as we chose to, to come to Cornwall and take that risk and it didn't pay off initially, you know, you're not that far from, from falling through the cracks, you know. It, it just takes... For some people, a month, you know, 
you lose your job, you don't pay your bills for a month, you could be faced with that, with that nothingness. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really, you know, astonishing for, for a lot of people to see that and think that could be you, you know, how, who's to say that it couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is, sorry, mate. I was just going to, there's a genuine fear for a lot of people that that will be their their future. Yeah. 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 I think as well though it sort of says to you, you know, like I said there's there's never a problem you can't pick. If I if I lost everything now, um I know I can do it. I know that there's always a way. There's always so, something will turn up, you know. I've got a tattoo actually that does say it's my first tattoo and it says there is always hope. And that is the, it's probably my only tattoo that really means anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the best one and it, it's so true and that that hope keeps you keeps you going yeah you know absolutely now i was going to say the the way you describe the book and that it's just your ramblings i think i mean that's really humble of you but the how brave you were and what you went like, i'm not sure because i haven't read the book obviously but whether it comes across but as someone who does a lot of meditation and stuff sitting with yourself for 12 hours alone in a car is fucking difficult and yeah. what you must have gone through and that mental clarity and the, the braveness to turn towards the discomfort both probably physically mentally in terms of the temperature at some points I'm sure it would have been cold yeah, yeah. and it was, to it not go home so blisteringly hot and then deathly cold um and I suppose isolation for 12 hours a day no one to talk to so that's incredible like I'm, yeah. I'm bigging you up for that because it, it really is what you went through and to where you are now and you your pma is phenomenal and, and yeah you know, i commend you for that so much yes yeah. you know i've never actually considered it like that that's really really astounding for me but a lot of people say to me now you know they say you're you're so mentally strong you know i i don't know how people could have gone through all the things that you've gone through and and still be happy and, and not bitter or twisted and, and stuff like this. And I suppose in a way that was like six months of training. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that is a testament to to my the strength that I have mentally. It is, you know, it fascinates even me and, and I'm living in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Which it, living in our own head is always a scary place. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think as well, um, um, I was talking to my mum earlier, actually, and she said, it's so wonderful, you're you're so secure in yourself. And I said, yeah, she said, and not a lot of people have that. So they, they would pay a lot of money to have that security. And I said, I think it's because I sat, I've sat with myself both literally <laughs> and, um, you know, figuratively, I've sat there and I've seen what I do that is not integral to myself. And we've all done it, you know, like like you said, you know, mm. when you're young and you're, you're silly and you do things and you sort of know you're not being integral to yourself, you're just doing it. And and I think it, it took a lot of unpicking and a lot of rubbish behaviour as well. You know, you've got to test the waters. But, um, yeah, and I can sit with myself and I'm completely happy with who I am. I know I'm a good person. I know I do good things. And, and that's what I share with the world as well. That's why I like being online. That's why I like having that that presence because I think it's something that, you know a lot of people don't do they won't sit with themselves they don't like who they see in the mirror mm. both physically and mentally and I think you know I look rough today I've just had a shower I look at myself and I'm like look at you you're beaming you're like radiant and you know it's not that um like western culture that I see when I look at myself I think you've done brilliant you know 
Mm. And I think a lot of people could could learn from that. Be be happy with yourself and who you are, and make the decisions which make you feel integral, yeah. and then you can face anything. That's nice, definitely. Well, yeah, strong, independent woman. I'm I've got two daughters, so I'm trying to raise the same. But interestingly, and feel free to not answer this. I can imagine men would maybe struggle with that, with your level of confidence and how you know comfortable you are in your own skin. Is that right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Sorry. Like, no, Sorry. no, not at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, a friend of mine said to me recently, she said, you intimidate people because you you know who you are. You know, you don't let people get away with, with shitty behaviour, hence why I'm soon to be unmarried. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I found that. I found men, I, I can spot a weak man, and that is a guy who... Um, isn't happy with himself, you know, and I don't mean insecure or, or depressed or anything like that. I mean, a weak man that, um, you know, has behaviours which are not acceptable and they spot, they they know straight away, I see straight through them um, and they avoid me. And then I think there's other men that, that find it fascinating and they don't really know what to do with it because, you know, I'm not just a blonde I'm I've got something to me and I think they they struggle with what to do with this it's like you know do I want to marry her do I want to hate her do I want to shag her do I, I don't know what to do do I want to argue with her I just don't you know or do I just want to like share everything and and I'm lucky that you know the men that I do have in my life that I that I hold dear they um they're vulnerable with me and they've got that safe space to do it and they you know I think they appreciate having somebody to do that with which is really good um but yeah i i definitely hit the intimidation i don't want to you know <laughs> i'm nice as pie <laughs> yeah I, I mean just to clarify that's not on you at all that's on yeah, us men absolutely and, yeah and also yeah. our conditioned behaviors that we've had of what you know and this is what we we're unpicking what it means to be a man in the 21st century that men yeah. can be vulnerable, they can be authentic, they can be in touch with their feminine sides, but still be men. Yeah. Whereas the toxic masculinity is such that, you know, we've said before on progress that we have these two emotions, like we want to fight or fuck or eat, you know, or do I yes. three, but do you know what I mean? Whereas where does the other elements come into it that we can actually be all of these things yeah. and yeah. be vulnerable? Vulnerability is so important yeah. to us. And it's, yeah, and it's a strength as well, I think. Absolutely. Sorry, mm. I was just saying, like, it took me years to actually be vulnerable with my wife, you know, like that the, Esther Perel talks about how you can have multiple relationships often with the same person and um, that resonated with me so so much because my poor wife has suffered all my bullshit over 30 years and it's taken me like that long to truly be vulnerable with her because of the conditioning that I had in place so yeah um, when you meet somebody that you can be absolutely raw and vulnerable with it's such a huge blessing um yeah. and sometimes yeah. you don't realize how big a blessing it is yeah no. yeah I agree I think it's it's really hard to like I said like I what I struggle with I can cope with vulnerability when I've got the answers when I yeah. know I've got through mm, it but yeah. that rawness oh god like yeah I would honestly just rather die <laughs> <laughs> than turning towards it yeah <laughs> the scary thing from my point of view as well is that the way that John and I talk is just natural and we've aligned ourselves with other men and, you know, we lead a, a men's circle and I lead a mixed circle and we, we've done retreats and stuff. 
and so this is natural for us but now I, I recently came out of a six-year relationship and have dated a few women and they seem to think that what we're like is so like we're amazing this is normal for us but like most men aren't like this so when we are open when we're vulnerable it's like what this is so different we're like well this is just yeah. what we're like yeah. we're not that's putting it on it's just normal yeah but yeah. it's not and that's what we're trying to change that's why we're doing this yeah. podcast to try and say there's a different way to mm. be as men and we have to be and we have to teach our boys to be as well so yeah. that we shift this like such negative and the polarities of the sexes and yeah. the hatred that there is and the opposition it. it's awful i think you know i i don't I, I mean i don't slag men off anyway not publicly anyway but um <laughs> i i struggle with this this bare minimum and when men do the bare minimum women are like this is amazing and mm-hmm. yeah. you know looking looking at my own relationship i remember when our role switched so he um was the breadwinner whilst i was at home with lily and then um, just last year, that that completely switched. I was earning money, and I was earning a lot more money than than he'd earned. Um, and he was expected to be at home and and look after Lily. It was just the school drop offs because she's much older. Um, and he really struggled with that. Really struggled with with that. And um, I found as well, you know, I would get home and he'd say, "I've hoovered," and I was like, you know, in my head, obviously, I didn't want to sort of poo poo on it, but. Yeah, I thought I I did that every day with a baby hanging off me with several other jobs to do with with all of this going on. That is the bare minimum. Like I should hope you have hoovered, you know. But um, there's that element of of men as well. You know, they they don't know what the bare minimum is. They don't realise that's the bare minimum to to bring to a relationship. Just hoover. You if if I can see it needs doing, you surely must see it needs doing. But it's that that way that we've been brought up, you know. It's always the women that that cooked and cleaned and and had that mental load, and men were almost always sat around doing what they wanted, you know. Yeah. Such bullshit. Absolutely. I, mean, I I went to a festival recently, um, well over the summer, and like I'm in all with all intents and purposes a single dad now, and I took my older daughter who's fourteen and my younger one who's three, and it's beautiful days. I don't know if you know it. But, I do um, know it. Yes. I've yeah, not been. I've got friends that go and, and it looks magical. Yeah, it, it's really, really kid centred, and you know. So I was doing a lot, especially my fourteen-year-old. She went off and had friends, and that was cool. And so it was, to all intents and purposes, me and a three-year-old. So everything I did was pretty much child-centred. And the amount of people that were like, "Oh, just imagining that I'd let," and it, like this was literally their language. Oh, <laughs> you've let your partner go off. You're such a doting dad. It's like. No, I'm just the dad, you know, I'm just yeah. doing this to my daughter. Like, oh, you're such a good guy because you've allowed your girl. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, it's, this, it's, it's madness. Absolutely. But this concept of that you just, you're letting them off for good behavior or something. It just, yeah. it's such a weird dichotomy for me of like, well, no, not at all. Actually, I'm here on my own with my daughter. Is that so weird to think? Yeah. And it's funny. Um, I mean, when Ryan would have Lily, I mean, even if I was like five steps behind them, to be honest, um, people would say, oh, you know, dad's babysitting. And it's like, no, dad is dadding. Like, yeah, no one yeah. ever, ever said to me, oh, you're babysitting <laughs> the kids today. He'd be like, they're obviously your kids. Whereas it was like, oh, dad's babysitting. Like, no, they are actually his kids. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a weird so if the one. mom does it, it's yeah. what they should do. But if the dad does it, they're just they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Or if the dad does a vacuum, oh, well done, well done. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Amazing. Like, 
you know, it's just just it does fascinate me, and I I would love to break down those sort of roles. But I think I think you know, change change it's slowly happening, isn't it? I think yeah. just slowly. Yeah. Well, he can't rush things. Can't rush perfection. <laughs> Look, in all honesty, it takes men a little bit longer to catch up. That's the biggest thing, yeah. is it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like the reality is, we we know for a fact at our very core, if women ran the world, it would be a much fucking happier, healthier place. Mm. Um, but we're like, so many men are still too scared to admit that to be the facts. You know. Yeah, I suppose that's that. Um, you know, that's how I make some men feel. If you if you admit that I'm a success, you feel like you're showing that you're not a success. Yeah. And I think it's that, like, if we if we let them know that they are, yeah, and they then we are admitting that we're shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, the scary thing is, it you know, this happened for centuries, mostly through organized religion unfortunately that women were basically written out of history because the innate like power of the feminine is what unifies the world you know i mean you yeah. carry the, the portal basically between heaven and earth in terms of your ability to create life and yeah and men really have a very very small part of that and and it's that power that's been suppressed you know for centuries yeah and it, yeah. it's scary it's it is slightly shifting but you know from my point of view and, and certainly John and I talk about this a lot. It is actually about the unification and, and bringing back the genders, rather than it just being pushed further and further apart. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. But I suppose as well, like even during our chat, I've thought, you know, you you've put questions to me as a female, and I've thought, well, I, in my experience, I can see both genders doing this. You know, yeah. and I, I think that's that's just my view on things anyway. To be to be fair, I think I've spotted a lot of um things that actually it's not you know women v men or men only do this and women are i know loads of women that you know want to go out and fight and fuck and eat do you know what i mean it's just (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah and it's it's unpacking we've spoken on this on a previous podcast actually but just the way that from such early years were indoctrinated so you know most of the cartoons that you would have watched as a young girl would be telling you that you need to find your savior your handsome prince and then you'll live happily ever after thankfully you know moana brave etc or you know frozen there's slightly different archetypes now but so you've had to unpack that that a woman you are defined by a man Mm. yeah your worth is and if you know if your guy has an affair that's on you because you haven't been the doting wife yeah and so and for us men it's the opposite that we have to provide we have to be the breadwinner so you know when you did yeah when you started to earn more than your husband then suddenly it becomes well what is my role you know I've given her a kid I'm not I'm not maybe a good house husband whatever you know all those things that and so he then has to I'm not suggesting he wasn't but you know what I mean these are the kind of the inner stories and I had to suddenly where's my place she doesn't need me yeah and I've been brought up to think that a woman needs me so it's difficult so it's literally for us to blow all of that out of the water and we're just Mm -hmm. two people together you know whether it be same sex or opposite sexes and and how do we find the roles that work and how do we just be open and vulnerable and just love really that's all there is yeah that's what I think I think interestingly actually as you were saying that I thought 
one thing I've really struggled with, and this is very recent, so it's rare for me to be this vulnerable because we've not unpicked it yet. <laughs> but um, I've really struggled with that feeling of the one. You know, I feel like now I have lost the one. And now it's like, well, there's not a two. You know what I mean? Even though I know from experience, you know, I've not just had one relationship my whole life. But, you know, it, it's that pressure. And actually, I think, no, that, that wasn't right. Because if someone was the one, you'd still be together, you know, then nothing would have happened that would have made you like disunify, you I, know, I think, and I think, I was gonna say, on. I think that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Yeah. You, you know, I, yeah, that's I, it. And I, 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 th- I think like the way I view it now, I would have agreed with you previously, 110%. The way I view it now is the one is you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's what I've realised. And I, I said to a friend recently, you know, other than, you know, the marriage breaking down, every every other aspect of my life is fucking amazing right now. Like, my <laughs> friends have come out in, like, spades, you know, and my job's brilliant. And, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people that really love me. And there's not a missing seat at the dinner table do you know what i mean like there, there isn't that they are there is nothing nothing lacks you know? uh, I, i'm laughing so much because john and i have had this conversation like this is it, the first time being single now for seven months and met a few girls but to all intents and purposes single and john's like dude don't try and get another girl you've got it all at the moment you're getting i've got like i'm a, a single dad one weekend i'm just surfing the other weekends living <laughs> it up it's like i'm not sure unless someone's going to come along for the ride do i want to give this up now yeah and like no yeah. i'm not sure i do actually so I yeah. felt that. i've i've really felt like ultimately if i were to meet anybody i can't prioritize them like i did my husband because first of all i don't fucking want to because every part of my life is slotting in brilliantly. Like I've spent the evening doing a podcast, whereas before I'd have probably been like, no, I can't. I've got to do wife stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's it. You, your life is actually full and there is, is not that missing piece. And, and I think that there's a lot of pressure on someone when you are single, like, when are you going to find someone? When are you going to find someone? I think I'm not looking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm completely content with with how things are and everything will happen as it's meant to happen you know yeah. everything yeah. like like my wife and i view a, a relationship these days as, as she has her path i have my path and yeah we're close enough that we can hold hands but yeah we're I love very that. much on our own paths and her yeah. her way of putting it as well as another one i like is i have a pillow she has a pillow and we share a pillow sometimes Ah, yeah, that's sweet. And that's the best way I can describe it because I don't want her to live her life for me and she doesn't want me to live my life for her. Yeah, you don't want somebody, speaking from experience, that is codependent on you because you, they, it's like the, um, the, I can't think what to call it, like it's an analogy. If someone's drowning and you're not trained to deal with that, but you think, right, I'm jumping in the the likelihood that they will drown you is really high yeah and, and that that is a fact and it's like the, it's the same you know you can't save somebody if if you've not got the train you're not ready for it yeah. you know you've not got the things Ooh. in place um and i think that's that's really interesting for me i think you know if someone 
someone wants you to live right next to each other all the time on top of each other pretty much um if you branch out become successful if you make make a lot of money if you you do something that doesn't necessarily involve them they can sabotage that for you and when you get to the end of your life um one of my favorite quotes actually this was in my diary when i was 18 still live by it only 20 years later (laughs) um and it said would you be glad you did or glad you didn't yeah. And I think that is so true. You know, I, I said so post lockdown as well, I said, there is not an invite I will turn down. Ironically, um, we did get a letter through the door and it was from some Jehovah's Witnesses and it was handwritten notes, it's really sweet. And at the end it said, and I'd literally only just said out loud to, to my husband, I said, right, that's it. When lockdown finishes, I said, I don't care if it's watching paint dry, I am there. And then this thing came through and it said, an invite to Jesus's birthday um, and it was like a Zoom call. And I just thought, that is the universe's divine timing. Telling me, like, we will test you. <laughs> so did you do it? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually washing my hair that day. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. <That's> fair. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he minds. I think yeah. he had plenty of people. Yeah, I think yes. I think the thing really, what you were saying about that, um, just the thing of completing you and all someone else. Again, we are so indoctrinated. Like you think of the number of songs where you complete me, you're nothing without someone else, yeah. or the number of films. It's such bullshit. And you said it best, John. That the I is you. And yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've had probably three quite serious relationships, and I would I say I love them all, and they're all maybe soulmates or part of a soul. But I'd say that John is my soulmate as well. You know. Yeah. I love him as much as anyone on the whole of this planet. And just because we're not in a sexual relationship, I'm as open with him as anyone. And that would never change if yeah. I had another partner. And the same with other people in the relationship you have with your kids as well. So yeah. it's so ridiculous to put everything on one other person. Absolutely. It's so yeah. unfair, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that pressure of it. But it's interesting, you know, like, I mean, I don't have this experience, but I've I've definitely asked people about it and, and they've told me. And they said, when when you have your first child, you think, this is it. I'm never going to love anything as much as I love this kid. And then you have your second and you think, I'm not going to love this kid as much as I love that one. And then they say, like, you you actually feel that love just spread over them. And I think, mm. you know, you can do that for everybody in your life. You don't have to have a favourite, you know, like you, like you would a child. <laughs> Yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, the reality is we've got enough love for everybody. There's it's yeah. not mm. like Endless. you know, there's a cap on it. You know, it's not like yeah. oh shit. Well, I've hit the quota now, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm fucking in my overdraft, you know. <laughs> some of you is gonna have to give some of this love back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reality is like um I've I've been with my 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 partner for thirty years and it's been a lot of ups and downs and I I've openly said this it, it took 28 years for us to have an adult relationship you know wow that's fascinating because for a lot of it we were literally if if we're really honest about it we, we definitely loved each other but we were ticking boxes like this is what you do you know this is how my yeah. parents did it oh that's how your parents do it then we should do it that way oh fuck look that's how they do it in the movie you know what I mean and it's like yeah you don't even realize you're doing it, but then you're doing it. And then when you break it down to what is, what's really important, it's just seeing them for who they are. Um, 
I, I stand by this this statement. There's an amazing woman on the in- Instagram, another one like yourself, called the Holistic Psychologist. Uh, oh, she's my favorite. Yeah, she's, she's my absolute yeah, favorite. Yeah, I love follow. it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And she's, I'm constantly re-quoting her stuff to my friends yeah. and everyone that I work with. Oh, her book's amazing and, as well. And I do occasionally pass it off as just my own brain. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. But, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> But, it's only because I don't want to keep saying the same words over and over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she said, love, love, a love language is seeing each other's traumas. And I was yeah. like, oh, fuck yes. Because yeah. for most of my relationship, I'd been reliving a trauma and so had my wife. Yeah. You know, and it's only over the last few years have we realized that, that we've now got what I consider an absolutely amazingly healthy relationship to the point that that we can be really open and honest and vulnerable with each other without the other person like getting upset. Recoiling. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that doesn't happen because occasionally it does because these are patterns of, you know, 40 plus years that we're breaking here. But the reality is that the fact that we actually recover from those moments quicker and, and healthier than we ever did before Mm. is is better and and like like i said the fact is a friday night um i was with simon we were in in london we were seeing the offspring play we were chilling out we were eating great food we had a great time and in the past my that would have like caused trouble between my my wife and i that we weren't doing things together you know yeah because we were so convinced that uh, uh, you had to do everything together that's Mm. what married couples did you know you did everything together and, and the reality yeah. is it's all okay now it's for me to do what I like to do, for her to do what she likes to do. And occasionally we do stuff together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that in my own relationship was a sticking point. And I think because I knew and often pushed my husband actually to to go out and do stuff and have fun. And <clears throat> I don't want to go and do that thing so I don't actually enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas a few years before I'd just gone along and also, I suppose it gives them that sense of curiosity. Like, she likes everything I like. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was false. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I think I, I pushed against that. And then it, it can definitely make them think, all right, why don't you want to hang out with me? And it's like, because because I always do. You know, it's yeah. just this one time. And then this, yeah. this second time and so on. But it's it's, you know, you need it for your soul. It's like the whole moving around a lot as a kid otherwise you know you don't grow in the same same situation same environment same conditions there's no growth there yes um so yeah, yeah you need to there's 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 definitely an element of like um we have this expectation that our partner is everything you know like that mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're going to solve all our problems and they're gonna they're gonna get us through all this shit and, and the reality is obviously they can't you know, mm. and and then we look at them. I was like, "Why didn't you save me from that dilemma?" Yeah, you, you know, like you're my partner. You're meant to save me from. And it's like, I'm. This is a fucking biographical here now. If I'm honest, you know. And it's like, what a fucking ridiculous expectation to put upon somebody. You know. Yeah. That. Yeah. They're human, and they've got their own issues and their own shit they're dealing with. So how are they gonna, you know? And it takes all your power away if they did fix it anyway. Yeah, mm. I think that's interesting when. When you think about mental health, you know, I was thinking about this earlier um, and my boss actually put this question to me, we were talking about suicide, um, which is something I've got a lot of experience with. And he said, how do we, how do you stop somebody from doing that? I said, you know, ultimately 
you can't save anybody. You, I, I often see posts, and I think they're really toxic, actually, on Facebook, and it says, check in with all your friends all the time. If they're not talking to you, check in with them. And while I think there's a, definitely a place for that, but, you know, you're going through your own stuff. It's really draining to to go through your own traumas and, and hardships and then think, oh, fuck, I've not texted everyone I know to make sure that they're they're okay. And, um, you know, and it, it can be really hard to to do that. But um, I spoke to a friend recently. She, she was going through a really rough time. <clears throat> and she said to me, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I know you're going through a hard time. I'm putting all of this on you. And I, I saw this quote and it's literally changed my life. And it, it really resonated because there was a time in my life when I would carry everybody else's troubles on top of myself and think, right, I'm going to add that to my lot, you know, like the lady in Labyrinth and she's got all the stuff on her. Yeah. That's that's mm. how it felt. And then I, I don't know when this, this moment came, but I think you, you have to detach yourself essentially. And I said to her, you're not putting it on me. You're putting it in front of me and we're looking at it together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not carrying that. We're looking at that together. How can we analyze this? How can we find a solution for you? What do you want from this um, interaction? Even some, a lot of time people don't want advice. They just want to say, all this is happening. Yeah. And then like, let, okay, let's just sort it out. Let's put this into bite-sized chunks and then we can just think about it. You know, that's really but, true. My, my wife has yeah. a, a thing for the kids and it's one of the kids comes to her with an issue and taking into account before a minor growing up now. Um, and it's something along the lines, uh, do you want me to listen? Um, do you want me to advise or do you want me to help? Yeah. You know, and, and that's yeah, that, it's very true. Yeah. 99% of the time they just want somebody to listen. Yeah. yeah. I know I do because I, I, like we said, everything is within you. Yeah. The answers are inside myself. I, it's, it's been rare for me that someone's seen something in a way that I haven't seen it. You know, I, I naturally, analyze it all myself <clears throat> sometimes I just need someone to just talk it through with and then by the time I've got to the end of my paragraph of talk I have realized the solution myself and it's also like more rewarding you know otherwise you feel like I'm naive and I'm stupid and everyone has the answers except me hmm. and I think instead when you you think you do have the answer you know what you know what you want to do you know what you want out of this um, let's just get you there, you know. Let's just talk it through. You you just talk at me until you've you've fished it out of the words. <laughs> yeah, I think that's because you come from a place of self assurity. I think for a lot of people, actually, that we want <clears throat> the answers because we are so insecure. So, actually, for you or whomever to hold space for someone else and enable them to work it through. I mean, that's what a good counselor will do. They don't give you answers; they ask the right questions. Yeah, and enable and empower. And like John said. Yeah, that's such an important thing to be, empower people to actually, yeah, I've come up with this myself. Well, then, yes. John, tell me what to do, mate. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think as well, um, interestingly, like like you said, that that self-assurance, that's, what, that's what's made me somebody that people follow, I think. Mm. You know, like mm. I, I find people do fit into two categories, the, the more insecure people, and the, there's no shame in that. You know, it's just you're, you're not at the top end of the, the journey yet. Um, but they're looking for someone to follow, looking for someone with the answers. Who can I follow that will tell me how I feel? Who can I follow that will tell me, you know, how to deal with this this thing? And then there's there's people like myself who think, okay, I, I don't have all the answers, but I'll figure them out myself and, and I'll share them, you know? Yeah. And that's what gains you, like, people that want to follow you. 
Oh, I think that's why we like people like, you know, um, the holistic psychologist, Nicole, is because she's she puts it in, in terms that we can all understand and we can all get on. And yeah. fuck, how many times do I read one of hers and go, oh, shit, that's me. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah. like, oh, I but find, also. I I've read her post and I thought she's worded that in a way that I never would have quite grasped. Absolutely. You know, she's really put that in, in layman's terms. Yeah. And made me understand that because I, I mean I'll have it quite often, and someone will say, "How do you feel about that?" And I'm there, and I'm like, well, "I don't know, hmm. but I feel something. I just can't put my finger on it." And then I literally go straight onto Instagram, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> let me just read this out to you." <laughs> yeah. But she also owns that she's fucked up loads as well, mm. and that she yeah. struggled in life and had to, you know, isolate herself from her parents and set really strong boundaries that she didn't. And even, you know, when she achieved a PhD, that it didn't give her fulfillment because she wasn't okay inside. Yeah. And I think that's what we talked about with the relatability, that she's not, there's not that air of superiority at Absolutely. all. It's like, yeah. She's just doing what she can. Yeah. To be honest, nobody wants to follow someone who's had it easy. You know, no one wants that overnight success, which is myth anyway. You know, although I have just totally said that about my own self with my blog, but it was not overnight. <laughs> Did take a lot of posts, but um, you know, I I think people don't. They, people love a rise to the top, but they also love someone who's at the top and saying, "Look, I didn't get here easily. It's taken me a lot of of messed up behavior. Like like I said earlier, you know, I I didn't get to this." this place of self-assurance where I know who I am and I'm integral to myself and I can look at myself and be pleased without doing a lot of real shitty things and, and stuff that I'm not pleased with. But again, like part of that self-assurance has come from recognising that was my fault. I was the toxic one in that situation and I accept it and I also like released the the shame and guilt so I don't have to get in that cycle of continuing you know, mm. and I just think that wasn't okay, but I was hurting, yeah. and you know, there's lots of reasons behind that behaviour. Doesn't make it okay, but I can move on because I'm not, I'm not there anymore. Yeah, good. Yeah. And show yourself compassion. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that's really important. Showing yourself compassion. Yeah, I mean, is it Russell Brand calls it the shame cycle, doesn't he? So he, when he talks about his own addictions and that, you know, he said that part of the reason is I feel shameful, so I do fall into the addiction. Which yeah, to get awesome. high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. try and break the shame, which then leads me further into shame. And then I go back to the yeah, – it's just like it's this yeah. fucking rolling yeah. wheel. And it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah completely. I, re I really get that. And I think that's that's the compassion. You have to break the cycle, not with either of those things. It's the compassion. You have to say, right, I've done a thing. And, you know, as long as no one's died – Sometimes, even if they have, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. You know, yeah. that's that's that. And there's not a problem you can't unpick. You yeah. know, that, mm. that goes back to that. There's there's nothing that you should feel so shameful for. You can't live with yourself. Yeah. You know, there's there's yeah. always a reason behind the behaviour. Well, we're we're not our worst moments. You know, that's no, the thing that's I would say. Yeah, we're, we're not yeah. our worst moments. We're it's, it was just a bad choice. Yeah, you know? the Dalai Lama says, "When you lose, don't lose the lesson." Yeah, and that's the thing from it, really. Yeah. Yes, I really, I've not heard that one actually, which is strange. So I imagine that's very famous. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's really true. I I find that with with everything, like you said, like with Nicole, you know, she admits her her failures, and it's you know, it's not a failure. It's finding out what what hasn't worked, and yeah. and you've learned something really valuable from it. Mm, definitely. So I'm interested. You've got to tell us next book. 
Yeah, do you know what? I to- totally forgotten about that. <laughs> oh. I'm plugging for you. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm <Yeah>. rubbish. <laughs> um, so my next book, obviously, I've touched on it that I um, have lost my dad. So in 2018, dad died, and um, we suspect it was it was suicide, but it was officially ruled as uh, mismanagement of of his medication, essentially. So it was quite good in that sense because it wasn't. Well, it meant that we got his pension, actually, <laughs> but <laughs> which was meagre. But um, yeah, so um, 2018, I was on an absolute high 2017. That was when everything was kicking off. I was writing the book. I was really excited. Uh, 2018, dad died. And it was like, shit, that, that pillar, you know, your parents, your two pillars, one's completely gone. Um, the events that followed, you know, funerals and death and, and suicide as well it brings up a lot of questions and and hurt people you know um so the family as i knew it just just disappeared overnight completely like i couldn't talk to my mum i i cut her off completely um my sister who is my half sister actually um we don't we don't share the same dad but she sort of took over everything um and pushed me out and I just, I just felt completely lost. I had nothing. I wasn't allowed to have any of um, my dad's belongings. Interestingly, you know, like I said, it, we didn't know it was suicide to begin with, although I had my suspicions. <clears throat> he sort of exhibited a lot of those behaviours. He'd got rid of a lot of his stuff. He'd isolated himself. He, I knew he had severe depression, um, that sort of things. Which, looking back, you're like, duh. But at the time, it's it's actually difficult behaviour to do, especially when it's coming from your own dad and you, and you do let yourself sort of, you know, let him get on. Um, and he lost the house as well. So all, all of my childhood belongings were in the house and they all just went in the skip overnight. The council just took it all away. Um, and I had no idea until it, until it was gone. Um, I actually went to the house the day after and it was just empty. And I thought, I've missed that by a day. Mm, but um, at the same time, I suppose that that was a lesson, you know, it teaches you. It's just stuff. I was la- I'd lasted that long without it, and although I thought it would always be there, it's gone. You know, and and I'm not hurt really. Um. So yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> I uh. Yeah. So dad died. Uh, didn't get any of his stuff. It all gone. Um. My sister took his ashes. Didn't I? Had I had nothing. And then um. That was in November, uh, 2018, as I mentioned. And then Christmas rolled round, sort of muddled through Christmas, did Google a lot of times. Can can your eyes dissolve from crying? <laughs> um, oh. And then I, I got this parcel through the door and it was a handwritten uh, little, it was like a handmade envelope actually, it was really special. And it's from one of his ex-girlfriends called Liz, who, who essentially was like an auntie to me growing up, like they were still very close. Um, and she'd written this letter and it said, you know, your, your dad was a huge help when, when my husband died. Um, and I and he gave me this and I want you to have it and in it there was this little book little black book and I opened it and it was a diary and I thought oh my god it was absolutely fascinating you know like I don't know if you've seen Harry Potter but there's a thing called a pensive where he where Dumbledore puts his memories in yeah yeah and that is quite literally I opened these pages and he'd written in it on and off so it wasn't like a full every single day or every single month or anything like that it was literally like a, a split second here a split second there um and he'd started writing in it in 1986 i think 
all the way up, all through me and my brother being, I'm a twin, so me and my brother being born, um, all of these really fascinating events of his life all the way through. And then at the back it said, I want this to be published when I die. And I thought, this is it. This has literally come to me. Um, wow. you know, and I thought, it's it's fascinating. And I, So I decided there and then, I said, right, I'm not ready to do it now. I've got to deal with this grief. I've got to like muddle my way through and, and you know, still be a parent and, and all of this. Um, and I thought, but no, I'm, I'm going to grant that. So a lot of people, when they read the first book, it ends on a it ends on the cliffhanger of getting the keys to the flat. So sorry to ruin it to anybody who's not read it yet. <laughs> but um, they read it and they said, like, hang on, you know, like we've started following you since you've had a kid and you, since you've done this and you've done that. They're like, we need to know, we need to know what happens next. And I and I was honest with them at the time, and I said, there's there's just not a book in there for me. You know, I've got one kid. She's really easy. <laughs> the end. <laughs> And I thought, you know what, this is a way to mash up those um, hard-hitting, interesting, like life-changing parts of my life in between parts of Dad's. So you get to know Dad all the way through the book. You get to know his fears about becoming a dad, um, his relationship with my mum, his relationship with my sister, like getting to know this kid that's not his, um, and his worries about it is so vulnerable on there. And then there's, there's also these really brilliant bits where he writes exactly like I do to be honest I, I write exactly how I talk and that's what people enjoy it's what they find easy because I, I don't fluff it up and I don't try and write prose I just write how I think which is how I talk <laughs> um, and dad's the same he's got that same sort of dark humor that like cutting humor where he'll say something and then it's sarcastic and stuff like that and I just thought it's just so brilliant and <clears throat> you know so the book will start with his funeral and then the year of grief, because I, I do say to a lot of people, um, in my experience, it takes you a year to get through and then you can process your grief, you know, and then you then you can start moving on. Like life's not as hard. You, you can laugh again. You don't feel like you're never ever going to laugh again in your life. Um, so it'll follow that year. You'll get to know dad. You'll get to know all those events that people want to know about. And then it ends with with his death. And, and at the same time as much as it sounds dreadfully depressing, it's. I think it would be such an honour and <clears throat> I think it would be so brilliant for people to not just see, you know, how to deal with grief, but also you get to the end and you'll almost be grieving him as well because you'll have got to know him mm. and then it's like, oh, that was that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited for it. I think it will be really helpful, you know, like the first the first book was all about gratitude and <clears throat> humbling yourself and that sort of thing and this this will be a lot more hard hitting but a lot of people have lost a parent you know and and lost a parent young or lost a parent through tragic circumstances and I think although you can never grieve how anybody else grieves because your relationships with people are unique to you you can get something from knowing that someone's got through their grief and and they you know the the feelings that it brings up all very similar So I think I think it'll be a really good handbook for grieving and everything else, as well as the nod to dad, like here's your diary, it's published. I will be taking the royalties, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've earned that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful though. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm so I'm so excited for it. it. I've just not sat down and, and written the fucker. There's <laughs> <laughs> plenty of time. I think. Well, you always seem too busy, anyway. Yeah. I think. 
from your social media anyway. Yes, I mean, that is literally the case, you know. How am I going to fit it in? I'm sure I will. I did the first book. I mean, it's the skeleton of it was written, but I I managed to write that. Um, no, no spare time in the evenings. Um, in the day, I was obviously doing mum stuff. And then Lily went to nursery two day, two mornings a week. And that's how I wrote the book. It took, took me six months, two mornings a week. I could sit and write it. And that was it. Oh, so you'll get it sorted. Do that, yeah. I'll do this one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, I lost my dad in, um, in 2017. Um, and, uh, the, the, the biggest thing I have for it now is there's stuff that I've learned over the last few years that I want to go and talk to him about. Yeah. That has been really, I think for me as well, you know, I was however old I was and I feel like I've, I've grown so much since then and they don't get to see it it's it's a hard pill to swallow and you think you know I'm way more exciting now I'm an adult and I've got way more thoughts and feelings and and it wouldn't be that relationship of your teaching me it would actually be we're discussing things now yeah yeah never never quite got there yeah I I I think I mean I read somewhere that um you you feel all this grief because it's all this love that you have for this person that you can't physically give to them yeah, and um, that sort of made me feel a little bit better. But I, I my wife <laughs> reminds me regularly that my my dad's not gone; he's with me always. He's still here. There's he's very much in in, in present and and aware. Yeah, and and if I'm honest, I've had a couple of moments where um, deep meditative states or, or through breath work that I've I've very much physically felt him with me. And yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, it, it, it's like some people might go, oh, it's all in your head, you're a nutcase. But for me, it was enough, you know, and it, it gives you a yeah. certain amount of peace. Yeah. The fact that you have that diary is just, yeah. like, if that's not the it, universe. It, it's astonishing. Yeah. 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 I, I really struggled before it came, and you and it was, you know, the, the loss of my entire family, no, no mum to turn to, no brother, no sister. Um, there was just nobody there. And it was like, God, you, you're looking at it on your own. And then this part, this diary arrives and it's like, I can just pop in there anytime I want for, for that chat. Cause it, cause it covers so much as well. And you just think it's all in there, you know, yeah. and it's, it's brilliant. That's beautiful. But um, I find as well, going back to your, you know, they're, they're always with you. I remember really struggling with that. I, I lost a, another friend to suicide actually when I was 18 and, um, I really struggled with it because she was so funny and interesting and so intelligent. She really had so much going for her. Um, and I just couldn't, couldn't make sense of it for a long, long time. And then I thought when I remember repeating a joke that she'd said, and then, and then later on, um, me and my husband were driving somewhere and uh, we saw this guy was on his motorbike and he just started to rain and he, he was driving, then he just flicked the V's up to the sky. And my brother said, that is such a Mark Potton thing to do. Because it really was. And it was like, do you know what? That That is, for me, that is there. Yeah. They're always there. You know, that you you take all the good points from them. Although I do have some of Dad's bad habits as well. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you take everything that made them so great and you carry it on. So they, yeah. they don't die. They don't die where, where they died. Yeah. They continue. And then, and also you'll, you'll bring that to people you'll have yeah. aspects of yourself that people want and, and inspires them and that's you living on and on and on and on yeah and i think that's really special yeah i mean i really love that that kids movie coco yeah. i haven't seen it oh, oh my God. you gotta see it that's one for you, mm. for you for you and lily to watch it's beautiful oh yeah 
but there there is my kids love it and it, it's it's an is element. it the day of the dead one actually yeah yeah so basically yeah, yeah they, they keep the photos um in their home and they come out you know every day of the dead to remember their lost one and as long as they're remembered they are alive in the next world yes yes yeah. so and there's something beautiful about that and then you know on on the day of the dead they, they come back from the afterworld to visit the family even though they can't see them they come back and it's like yeah there's an element of me that thinks that's beautiful that's what i'm envisioning yeah so yeah that's that's what i want yeah for sure i think that i think for me especially after dad died and i remember um there was a there was definitely a period where i just thought i've never felt him I never, it was, it was just so sudden, you know, is one minute he was there, the next he was gone. And then that was that. And it was really bracing and like hard to deal with. And I remember thinking, fuck's sake, you know, like, you know, I'm going to visit your kids. But um, I think as well, then I thought about it and I thought, you know, I know the sort of person that he was. And, and I, I feel like I've even had this conversation with him to be quite honest. Um, and he always sort of said, you know, you're on to the next adventure. Why would I wait around? I thought about it for myself. I thought, yeah, I wouldn't want to wait around and see everyone being sad and depressed. You can't touch them. You can't speak to them. You can't comfort them. If I saw that portal opening up, I would be jumping straight through it. And I and I think that's exactly what dad would have done. He'd have been like, right, what's that? You know, it's that stepping forward into growth you know what's the next plane what's the next astral plane i want to want to go and you know snuff that out i'm not waiting around here it's depressing (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of true there's that beautiful uh i'm I'm such a geek at times with a beautiful line in in lord of the rings where he he talks about death he says death is not the end it's just the next step where we go onto a beautiful land and white clouds and all this sort of stuff and it's like fuck yeah man why would you want to linger in the misery of like you know when there's all that in front of you. Yeah. yeah. One of my favourite quotes actually is very similar. Um, and it was a huge comfort, I think, in the very, very early stages. You know, you can't even, like, get your head round. You can't even say the word. You can't do anything. And I saw it. I don't know who said it or anything, but it just said, um, I've not gone. I've just slipped into the next room, you know. And it was so comforting. So you think, yeah, like, you, if you're, if somebody's in the next room, they're just there. You don't have to speak to them. You just know they're there. And I thought it was such a huge comfort. And I think that was a really brilliant way. You know, I've, I've just slipped into the next room. That's all. Yeah. You know, you'll be here next. Not yeah. soon. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. It's a huge comfort. You know, they've, they've not gone. They, they just slipped somewhere else for a minute, mm. you know. Ah, it's, it, it's, that's a really lovely way of putting it, actually. I'm going to keep <clears> that one. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, it's been, it's been such a joy to spend this time with you Julissa absolutely I've I've loved speaking to you both you you've brought some really interesting things for for me to think about afterwards as well which is you know really really great thank you you. you. I mean I'm really keen I don't know about I'm I'm going to speak for you Simon I know you won't mind um (laughs) that's fine um, (laughs) yeah we're very connected um (laughs) I, I would love to have you come back again um maybe when the book's done Absolutely, I'd yeah. love to. You know, yeah, and, really, really keen for that. Because I feel like, truthfully, we've only scratched the surface. I think we, we probably could maybe do like a three or four hour podcast. <laughs> we could chat to you for hours. Yeah, for sure. it's been so good to feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's a, hu- it's a huge compliment. I'm so glad that you asked me on as yeah. well. And, you know, and I love that our conversation has just literally flown 
everywhere you know mm. i didn't really know what to expect but yeah. it's been brilliant you guys are so fascinating and so interesting so switched <laughs> thank on you, as well. thank you that so i appreciate really that. brilliant yeah yeah it's brilliant yeah. it's been thank a real you. joy well we're gonna end with a buddhist prayer if that's cool with you yes love that okay. may any goodness that's come from our practice tonight be shared outwards in all directions and together may we create a positive change on this planet amazing thank you yeah. love that well thanks so love much an affirmation. thank you <laughs> it's, been, it's been such such good fun i'm gonna i'm gonna do the right thing now and i'm gonna send this book to simon yes uh, thank you absolutely. brother yeah because i i feel everybody should read it it's beautiful i do so i'm gonna get where can they get it if they want to buy it uh so it's on amazon yeah um you can get it on kindle um, Kindle's better because I do actually earn a little bit more. Okay. Because um, there's no printing costs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Amazon is the main place for it. Okay. And the book is so called. We'll put the links then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. It's just a good idea. But yeah. for those yeah. that are listening, the book is called Ever the Optimist by Jalissa J. Thank you. And we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but Thank yeah, you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>